The tech job market can be a confusing place. Sometimes, without really committing to a job search, it's quite hard to find out the details about companies that are hiring in the space. And that's where Haystack comes in. Haystack is a portal with a clear view of all the coolest companies in the tech industry. You can see what it's like to work there and what they're hiring for. And best of all, you won't have to have a 20 minute conversation with a recruiter to find out the company's name. To find out more about Haystack, go to haystackapp.io or check out episode 59 of the Go to Career. Thanks to Haystack for sponsoring and enjoy the show. Hello techies and welcome to another episode of The Coder Career with me, your host Cameron Blackwood. Now as frequent listeners of The Coder Career will know, we love to feature people who've had amazing and interesting transitions into technology. And today I've actually had the opportunity to speak to someone who has covered my two biggest interests in his career, that is coding and rugby. Today's guest Lee Jones has represented Scotland in both 7s and 15s within rugby, which if you don't know much about rugby is seriously impressive. Throughout a 12-year career, he travelled the world and represented both Edinburgh and Glasgow. But as he winds down his rugby career, his coding career has started. Lee joins me today to talk about how the day in the life of a rugby player is actually not that dissimilar to the day in the life of a software engineer. We also talk about how technology, particularly big data, has become an integral part of the professional game. For anyone who's interested in the intersection between sports and technology, this episode will be for you. If you do enjoy today's show, please do remember to rate us on the podcast player of your choice. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lee Jones. Hi Lee, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? Hi Cam, uh, yeah, good, uh, glad to be here. Great to have you. So this is a really interesting episode uh, for me because for people who aren't familiar with you, um, I'll, get, I'll give a bit of a hint. I've paid to watch you play rugby before so they can probably guess <laughs> what you used to do as a career and now what you're doing so do you want to say a little bit um about your stories you've had obviously one really cool career and now you're moving on to a new one yeah um yeah I'll give you the full story right um so I grew up in Scottish borders that's kind of where the um the rugby came from so I've, I've been a professional rugby player for the last 12 years so I grew up down in the borders which is essentially rugby country down there so the culture whereas a lot of the cities in Scotland football is the main sport rugby is the main sport back home so um, I grew up playing the game and always kind of aspired to play a professional level like as a little boy like I want to play for Scotland sort of thing Um, you know and we had a had a successful team through many rugby into school and we had a good good crop of um, like my mates at the time that were relatively successful as a team. So, um, and off the back of that, did some, you know, some representative rugby with Scotland under 18s, 19s, and that sort of thing. Um, at the time, the system was it's quite similar to what it was now, but I went to university after school, studied mechanical engineering, uh, but I still kind of had this sense that I wanted to play professional rugby. So, yeah, so while I was studying, uh, I was still playing club rugby. I still was aspiring to play professional rugby. Um, and yeah, that, I was kind of juggling both. And at the time, there was a season, I was third year at university. I got the chance to play for Scotland Sevens, um, which was like a series around the world. Um, so I kind of I juggled that with my studies. I did an exam abroad in South Africa. Um, uh, I, that was, it was a good few years ago now, but yeah. Um, and then off the back of that, playing the seven season, third year at university, got offered a professional contract with Edinburgh Rugby, which was was my local closest city, local club. Um, so yeah, and I, and I accepted. So my last year of studies was combined with my first professional contract um, in rugby. Um, so there was a bit of an overlap there. I managed to, to get my studies finished. Um, and whereas like I would have been looking for engineering jobs at the time this had come up and I was like right let's um all eggs in this basket let's go see how see how long we can see how much we can get out of this um and now I look back 12 years on and you know we're we're 12 years on and I've played rugby for for that amount of time so yeah within that time represented Scotland Sevens initially Edinburgh Rugby over to Glasgow Warriors um and and represented Scotland on at an international level um throughout that time as well so yeah it's it's been a busy 12 years but there comes a time when uh you kind of need to make that transition into a new career and that time for me is now so I played my last rugby game about 6 or 7 months ago 
Um, and in the meantime, I've been studying programming with uh, so web development with CodeClan, um, and I just finished last week. So, yeah, it's it's all change, um, but I can honestly say I'm I'm absolutely loving it so far. Well, congratulations on uh, getting through CodeClan because they've sponsored the show before, actually. So I know for a fact that they have a really, really uh, good but hard curriculum. So um, it's no uh, no easy feat um, sort of getting through getting through that whole thing. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was tough. It was tough. So four months of intense learning, and um, well, I knew it was going to be tough. But there, there's still times where I think there's so much to learn, right? And obviously, you're learning it in a short period of time. And one of my classmates, actually, shout out to G34 cohort, by the way. Um, <laughs> one of my classmates in one of the stand-ups were about halfway through the program, and she was like, "Oh, it's just like." Um, it's just like you're standing on a train and the train everything's rushing by but you can't get off and it's like you're on to the next thing before you fully grasp the thing before and you just almost have to go with it you just have to roll with it um and you i think i learned to just be comfortable with the fact that you're not going to feel yeah i always felt like i could do with just see if there was an extra week in between and i could catch up on the stuff i was learning last week but you then learn that uh, what you're learning is then building on what you learned before. So when you get two weeks down the line, you automatically understand what you've done two weeks before a bit better. And oh, like even having finished the four weeks, I feel like I've only just scratched the surface in terms of what's out there. Um, but it's been a great uh, start to you know a new career, and I've I've genuinely loved it. It's it's been awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's fantastic, and yeah, I can definitely definitely relate to that. Kind of always learn. I like that analogy your um, your colleague said about how you know you, you can't get off, and you just got to keep uh, keep learning. Um, like rugby, in a lot of ways, like sometimes you just got to get through the phases. Um, I would say that it's maybe like if you've got to think about taking the high ball too much, then that's probably when you're going to mess it up. But I've exclusively played number eight in loose head, so I, luckily I've never had to do that much. You, you have to. You've had to, on the other hand, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I've, I have uh, been there on many an occasion, and uh, yeah, you just got you got to get on with it. You can think about it too much, and uh, much in the same way as uh, as coding, to be honest. Yeah, um, mm. like I, I, I guess there are parallels I can draw between the two, uh, albeit it's a very different, uh, different field. <laughs> Yeah, it's scary in different ways, coding. Um, taking ad reduction and getting monstered by an opposition back rower. Uh, not neither's pleasant, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> one's emotionally painful, one's physically painful. Um, th- what what made you choose software engineering as a post rugby career? Because um, I live in I live in Morningside in, in Edinburgh, so there's a lot of ex Scotland internationals around me, and they all mm-hmm. seem to work in property development. That seems to be the beaten path. Um, what made you choose software uh, development as a post rugby career? Yeah, for me, so so I, I was trying to think of this before, right? The first time I probably ever coded, I thought at first I was like, oh, I was at university, we did a bit of C++ was the language, um, but more in like a, a sort of analytical sense. And it never, at the time I, I enjoyed it, but never probably fully appreciated it. And then I was, I was thinking back um, and it was, I had a VTech laptop when I was like seven, years old I must have been seven or eight years old so this is like early 90s um and I, and I looked it up the other day because I remember coding on this it had a, a version of basic on it mm-hmm. um and so that was probably my first ever I say please, uh, C++ at university was the first kind of hello world but um that VTech laptop I did a bit of coding on there and I remember um I looked up the instruction booklet just the other day and I remember the, the program and it was to calculate what your weight would be on the moon. And I remember on like just typing this out, typing this to, and, and really enjoying it at the time. Um, I looked through the instruction book the other day, right? And it said, um, there was a thing, it was like, why should I learn to use a computer? And I wrote down the, the thing, right? It said, the future belongs to the people who understand how to use computers. I was like, if I'd just taken that on at the time, I might have been into, I might have been into coding way before now. <laughs> Um, and then there was another one that said, don't worry about making a mistake. There's nothing you can do to damage the computer, which is very true. And it's probably one of the things that attracts me to, to coding, right? Um, 
but yeah, that's a, that's an aside. That was kind of so my first step into it. But you know, now um, it was a tough decision to make, like what to do. Almost like I'm 12 years on to someone potentially in the same situation as me that's gone into a job. They're 12 years into a job. They've got 12 years of experience, whereas I almost feel like I'm starting afresh. Um, I've done something for 12 years, but I'm now like right. I need a new career. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I dabbled in a few different things. I explored a few different paths. Um, so my first port of call was looking back to engineering. Like it was a long time ago, it was 12 years. So, um, that made sense to me as the first place to, to look out. Um, I did a bit of work experience in not mechanical engineering, but civil engineering. Um, really grateful for that experience. And that was kind of between, uh, my last rugby contract. Um, but probably decided that construction wasn't uh, the path I wanted to follow. Um, I studied uh, a diploma in nutrition in my last few years of playing. Um, I'd always had an interest in it throughout playing. And um, so I got that finished up, but then decided career-wise, it probably wasn't, you know, again, the direction that I wanted to head in. So, um, yeah, and I'd, I'd done... A bit of coding in the past, like I say, at university, I'd done a bit of coding. I'd um, dabbled in a bit of WordPress since. Uh, my wife has her own business. I'd, I'd done bits and pieces in terms of like helping her IT stuff out and um, just thought that, you know, the way the job market is in software, um, there's loads of jobs. Um, and for someone like myself, there's a, there's a huge uh, history and, and thing about career change career change is a big thing the fact that code clan exists is for career changers um and and for me i'm i'm a it's almost a forced career change but I always knew it was coming so um it seemed like you know a, a good path to follow and and after doing a few bits and pieces before signing up to code clan i was like yeah i think i can really get on board with this um it kind of appeals to my uh, logical uh, mind I feel and yeah and you know I was also conscious of having done something that I've loved for the past 12 years of choosing making the right decision because I really want to enjoy what I do for the next 12 years and, and on beyond that so um, and like as I was saying before I'm pleased to say that having having really got into it um, in the past four months it's, it's something that I'm I'm really enjoying like I, I used to take satisfaction and like winning a match or, or playing well and now it's like getting a test to pass or like <laughs> figuring out a bit of logic like genuinely that's where I'm sitting and like all right I'm getting real satisfaction from that like um solving problems and, and being creative with it so um yeah that, that's where we're at yeah I could definitely I mean this is a forward trying to speak back here but a very cool back line move coming together nicely is like getting a perfect test to pass, I'd imagine. Uh, sadly, I never had the feet for that. I was always more of a fan of trucking it up. Um, but uh, in, uh, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of relating the two, actually, do you think uh, there's anything that you could take from your previous career, both in general from playing rugby and, and kind of in general as an athlete? What lessons do you think you've learned that maybe other people won't have experienced that you can take into being a software engineer? Yeah, that's a it's an interesting question. I was like I was saying it's like trying to draw kind of some parallels between the two and especially like, you know, now looking for jobs and stuff, it's like, right, what can I take? What are the transferable skills that I can take between the two? Because on the surface it appears to be something that's entirely different, right? Um so yeah, I think like initially the coaches I've had and the way that we've approached the game in, in rugby is like there's such an emphasis on on basics and like world class basics and just you know n not thinking beyond like you might think that at a professional level oh, it's going to be so complicated the game's so complicated in terms of moves and in terms of what you're doing on the field but when you actually boil it down like to play a level up to play two levels up it's just it's the basic stuff but it's done better and it's done quicker and you know under a bit more pressure so I kind of, I've kind of taken that into coding in terms of like I feel, especially when you're learning early on, it's easy to get ahead of yourself and be like, oh, like this thing and this thing and this thing where I'm like, I've kind of been like, right now I need to really just nail down the basics here. And 
I think that's kind of really worked in terms of like see debugging stuff and like just going like right let's get this right back down to basics logic right where's this going what's this function doing right okay so i feel that's been um a real benefit i think the the other natural thing would be like the teamwork like having been involved in a team for oh, since i was since i've started playing the game when i was just a wee guy like um you know, just working with others to to almost push for a result beyond what you could achieve on your own. Um, and it was great to see, like, coming into Code Clan, the collaboration side of things. So like, I've really enjoyed the pair programming, um, you know, working on group projects and the dynamic of that and how I found that working in a group, um, as much as you've got to manage others and manage dynamics within a group you get so you can get so much more out the other end as a group than than what i you know what i could do on my own or or what you could do on your own so that's something that i feel has really transferred over as just being used to working in a team being around the team and and working in a team which is a real strength of of both things to be honest um and then i think Another thing that I really developed uh, under under coaches and under playing the game was like the growth mindset side of things, um, and just always always having to improve in order to stay in the game um, at a high level in terms of rugby. You, you've always got to keep evolving and keep improving. You know, there's someone else wants to take your position. Contracts only run one or two years, so you know to stay in the game, you've you've got to have that mindset of always wanting to get better. Um, and I find that's really applicable to, I, I think coming into a new career, especially as well. Um, and just having that mindset of like, right, I don't know everything now. I actually know nothing, you know, and even at two months in, in the grand scheme of things, I still know nothing, but just understanding that you can learn it and that code is something that can be learned. So applying yourself to, with that mindset that you can improve and and get better and it's just the application um side of things so i think that sort of that mindset has really helped um with learning quickly and um you know even when things get difficult just being able to lean into it a bit and understanding that right it's we're going to get better we just need to keep keep plugging away at it um yeah um so that's that's probably the, I guess what did I say? The three main things that kind of take over. There's probably more than, as I say, what, um, what appears on the surface. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels there that I, because there's some. It was interesting thinking about this episode before recording it because, um, obviously it's a totally you would think on the surface, like you say, it's a totally different, totally different thing. But actually, there are so many parallels, like the teamwork one. People don't realize. And a lot of the time when I speak to people, they, they make jokes about software engineers. Like I've had people say to me before, oh, um, you're quite a social guy for a software engineer. And it's like, so do you mean basically like <laughs> I can be yeah. at the pub and not be completely weird? Like, um, you know, it's there's a weird stereotype of software engineers not speaking to anyone. I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's historically in the 90s when computers were very much like a, something for enthusiasts where they just didn't talk to anyone. It's a very solitary job. Like nowadays it's, it's very much like you're just speaking to people day in, day out and teamwork is yeah. just so important. And if you're going to be a good software engineer, a lot of it actually isn't about coding itself. It's about working effectively in that, in that scrum team, because yeah, it's uh yeah, it would be, you don't want to have someone that's a complete like lone ranger and goes off and does their own thing. It, it's a disaster yeah. in, in a team context. Yeah. hundred percent. And I feel like, like the, the pair programming we've done, um, I, I think it's like, especially when you're learning, is to sit next to someone, have a problem or have a task and talk through it. Like you just almost fill the gaps that each other have got, and like the your productivity goes through the roof in terms of like, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I forgot that. Whereas if you've been sitting on your own, you'd have sat there and maybe wondered for five minutes about it, looked it up. Whereas the person sitting next to you has just been like, oh yeah, I forgot, well, we've not done that. We didn't import the thing or something. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that sort of thing is like, 
in the smallest sense, the collaboration side of that, like that's awesome to be able to sit with someone and you just get so much more um, productivity. But then, like you say, uh, when it comes to a bigger scale, like the teamwork side of things, you just get so much more out of a team and you have to be able to work in a team um, to produce you know what you're going to produce to, to produce software it needs to be done within a team setting there's no i can't really see a place for like you say the lone wolf that you know sit and code everything on your own sort of thing so um yeah that that is probably the biggest the biggest transfer i would say yeah it, it it's one of those ones where pair programming it's not even just doubling the impact. I, I don't think because my theory behind this is, as you say, you you uh, you reduce the basic things being missed, like an import statement, just stuff that you would know. But like we're all human, and we just miss stuff sometimes, like the missing semicolon and that kind of stuff. But what I love about pair programming, and no matter the experience level, is that you f- end up filling in the gaps in each other's knowledge. And so, no matter where you are in the career, in terms of you know, if you're both learning then you're going to fill in a ton of knowledge that the other one doesn't have. Or if you're a junior working with a senior, a lot of the time the junior has learned the more the most up-to-date techniques um, and the senior is not going to know them. So the senior can learn that side of things from the junior. And then obviously the senior can maybe teach the junior the design patterns. Like the one I always come back to is that when I learned to code and I broke into the industry, um, React had just moved to like the functional uh, components and it used to be class-based ones. Um, but yeah. I learned the functional ones kind of as standard, which was really weird to do that back in 2018, I think it was. Um, so I didn't realize, but actually I had quite a useful skill to teach senior developers. So it's one of those things where um, pairing is just so important, no matter the experience level um, of a developer. And a lot of the time a junior will panic and think, oh, I can't add any value to this, but actually there's a lot you can learn. Yeah, that's also something like, that I come to realize on on the courses, you almost, you, I, or for me anyway, I come in thinking, right, I'm the student, these are the teachers, they know everything, we know nothing sort of thing. And especially initially, that's the way it is, right? Because we're all coming in and we don't know a lot. And um, there's almost like, right, you're taking everything the instructor says. But then I, I noticed that as we went through the course and towards the end, there's a bit more in terms of, the instructor might ask someone, oh, you're like, maybe, um, you know, some of the guys decided to pick things up. Oh, I'm, I'm going to pick up a bit of TypeScript. It's not, um, you know, it's not been taught, but I'm going to, I want to apply it to my final project sort of thing. And there was loads of, you know, little instances of stuff like that. And um, then that's when the instructor might be like, oh, I've never, I've never done that before. How are we doing this? Or like, and it's like, it's such a two-way two-way street when it comes to that and that's like an evolving thing for me where I've been like all right this this whole world of software and programming is very very collaborative um and it's not just like you say senior dev junior dev and that's a one-way relationship it it, it can work both ways and even in the space of four months I kind of come to realize that and was like oh this is pretty it's pretty cool yeah and then on a macro level the whole like open source ecosystem is just a whole extension of that and that blew my mind really like uh so my my story is uh a bit of a weird one in the sense of i was actually a software engineering recruiter uh so i left uni didn't know what to do um and i used to uh my flatmate study computer science and uh i used to fill in on their football team um yep. because they were they <laughs> didn't have a ton of lads and wanted to play football uh so they needed a center back so i filled in um for them and they were all chatting to me about what they did and i was like oh that's really cool really cool uh, they were like yeah you should be a recruiter for this and i thought oh yeah that's really good what i can do is just place these guys um and take take money off their salaries like i'll be a millionaire is it'll be great <laughs> uh went in i was completely useless um but <laughs> what i did learn was uh a manager who was quite old school at the recruitment agency came over and sort of pat me on the back and he goes yeah it, it's weird um how developers are because i was asking him what github was and all the rest of it and he was like uh, yeah developers love helping each other it's weird uh and that always stuck in my mind um because it is actually a bit odd uh this open source contribution stuff but it's really cool at the same time to be able to just dive in see how things work and advice i'd always give to people earlier in their career is just have a look into the open source packages because it's not going to be, you know, it's still just JavaScript or whatever it's written in. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be something completely different. Yeah, that that's another thing that probably 
that's a thing that's it's not the it's not the opposite to what I've come from, right? But um, I definitely had that moment as well with GitHub and that where I was like, I'm like, wait a minute, this like everyone's work is just here that anyone can see and anyone can go in and have a look at. I'm like, right, that's a bit like, you know, that's <laughs> a bit strange. Like, but I, I I get it that you like you have to be able to understand the code to implement it. It's not a case of, you know, it's not like, oh, I could just go and take that and use that. It's like, there's such a collaborative like element to it. And like coming from sport, like competitive sport, where I think initially when you're younger, right, you're competing against the guy for the jersey, your opposite man. And as much as there's collaboration in training, it's it can be quite a single-minded effort or pursuit, right? Um. And that that changed as well throughout, and I think it does for a lot of athletes maybe throughout their career, especially in a team sport like rugby. I think it's maybe more so in like individual sports like athletics or something. It's a single-minded, driven sport, um, and at times can probably be viewed as quite a selfish thing. Mm. Um, rugby is different because in team you have younger guys coming through. You wanna you wanna help them progress, you know, pass on, and so it is different in a team element when i compare it to elite sport i'm then like and then i see this in, in software and the github stuff that we're talking about i'm like that's it's amazing it's so collaborative and it's like genuinely everybody is pulling in the same direction mm. um and i found that throughout the course throughout my cohort as well like everyone's willing to help someone's like oh i've just done this um i used this to do it like or if anyone needs a hand with thing, like everyone's been awesome in that sense. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, d- I did find it odd when I got into the industry, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" Facebook wrote this JavaScript framework, React, and everyone could just use it for free. It's like I can't imagine. I mean, you played for both of them, but I can't imagine before the eighteen seventy two Cup, the teams just leave the line out calls, you know, <laughs> just out and available. That's the way I saw yeah. it when when I went into it. I thought it was so weird. Yeah, as much as like, yeah, it's it's that competitive side of it, like, especially like you say, between two teams, um, you know, you have those two teams playing each other who are then you're probably playing for a, often like playing for a place in the national team. Um, yeah, you're not going to be giving the lineup codes. You're not going to be putting <laughs> the lineup codes up on GitHub, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but. Aye, yeah, it's it's a, a, a I love that part of programming. I guess it'd be the same for you, maybe in recruitment. Recruitment can be quite a competitive, like yeah, job, right? It, it was extremely cutthroat, and it, it's funny actually because like um, I mean, my rugby never really went anywhere. Uh, I was it was never that good. I still play now. Just I'm uh, down in I think I'm in the seventh division of Scottish rugby, so uh, I'm still plugging away. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of the lads that I recruited with uh, actually were high level um athletes um uh in their previous careers and went into it and i do think that it was very much like there was a huge competitive drive because you see the leaderboard in in the office of Aaron who's generated the most money um you know like air horns would go off if someone had done a deal it's very like wolf of bullshit it was a bit much yeah. um like i thought it, i thought it was great for the first six weeks i was like oh i've arrived and then i was like no i can't do this um i think i did it for like two years uh in the end but it's weird uh, because, again, it's the same situation where you wouldn't want to help each other out because, you know, you would lose deals. And I did lose deals where I naively uh, let people help me out and they, they took my clients. So it, it, it's very it's very cutthroat like that. So it's very strange going to software where it's a collaborative environment and the guards are very much up and you find it quite odd and you, you go in and you realize actually everyone is out to help each other. And, you know, if we all help, we all win. And proprietary stuff seems to be just it seems to just have its kind of back turned on uh really from from what i can tell which is it's a real anomaly i can't think of any other industry like this like i mean we've talked about mechanical engineering uh and that side of things before like i can't imagine i don't know the jargon but stuff like i don't know i can't imagine it's not mechanical but i can't imagine audi leaving out their blueprints for a car for uh uh for bmw to find you know it, yeah. it's very strange yeah yeah, definitely. Um, I can't remember any of the mechanical engineering jargon we <laughs> down in there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it's ah, but like I say, it's pretty cool. Um, um, and I think 
it just all pulling in the same direction can, you know, I imagine generate so much more on the on the other end of it when you're looking at a, a final product or um, a bit of software. Like it's um, it's probably part of the reason I feel why like the technology industry moves so fast. Um, if everyone has access to everything that everyone else is doing, then um, it can just keep progressing. Yeah. And it's an argument as well for uh, security because I know uh, it was in the States rather than, rather than here, but I know there was a huge flare up in Congress because Congress basically being very with the times found out what open source software was essentially and freaked out and thought this is a huge security risk, but actually it's more secure to have it open because any vulnerabilities are open to the entire world mm-hmm. uh, and can then be fixed immediately because you've got a million eyes on it rather than 10. And as we discussed before, more eyes on more eyes on something means you're more likely to catch um, the mistakes. So there's all kinds of advantages to it. It's just it's just a very strange one to explain to people that aren't in this industry uh, about yeah. why we would do things this way. But you know, it's decentralization and open source actually has a ton of advantages. And people think, oh, well, how would you make money? But I mean, I think uh, <laughs> the big tech companies that have huge open source projects are doing all right. Yeah, it's it's been eye opening for me. It has. And I suppose um, as much as people can see your good code, they can also see your bad code, right? So there's yeah. there's, a, there's an element of keeping your keeping your work good, right? Um, when yeah, you're uploading that's it true. as well. Remind me off this podcast, I'm gonna have to go to my GitHub, go back a few years, and just privatize everything. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think I'd show anything on there that I've done so far. No. I go back to like week one, and I'm like, oh, right. Uh, see, um, see, you're lucky because uh, when I learned to code, uh, you had to pay for private repos. But Microsoft have bought GitHub now, so uh, so it's all like um, private repos are free. But my ones were completely up there in public. And the friend that I mentioned earlier, that I did uh, the, the comp site at uni that I lived yeah. with, he uh, texted me one day. He goes, uh, "Just so you know, your um, Firebase uh, key is totally open, um, and uh, I've seen it on GitHub. Uh, you should probably keep an eye on that." <laughs> uh, so he luckily did not run up a huge bill on my credit card. Um, so you know, there's there's bad code, and then there's that, but. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think I committed my .env uh, file, um, which obviously is uh, yeah important lesson. That's the first thing I put on the git ignore now. Um, yeah, I'll, so make a, I'll, make term, note, I'll make a note of that right now. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the first first thing before a push is to check that git ignore um, for for sure. Um, in terms of in terms of your coding going forward, actually, do you think there's any way that you could potentially uh kind of make the world of rugby or slash sports crossover coding have you got any plans in that or are you just going to go purely into the code going forward uh yeah I, I guess it's always an option right because i feel yeah i've i've gained a lot of knowledge in in that area right um off the top of my head like i don't know the technology was coming more and more into rugby the way they were using it in terms of analysis and um like I say more recently for the last almost the the full t- GPS first came in when I it was almost just coming around when I came into the game, um, but like clubs would only have a certain amount of units to be testing stuff out. Now clubs have every player at the club if there's forty guys in a training day are wearing a GPS unit, so pretty much everything you do is monitored and tracked and. The stats are there somewhere. The data is there, mm. so that's a big element to pro rugby now, and that someone's job to analyse that. The difficult thing is, what are you pulling out of it, and how are you, you know, how how is that um, being fed back to coaches, being fed back to players? That's the tricky bit because the data is all there. The amount of data these GPS devices can pull is incredible, um, but I think the difficult bit is figuring out right what does a coach want. Um, what do we need to see in terms of is it contacts, is it acceleration, is it change of direction? Like, and that depends a lot on a coach, and that's the area that's that's quite interesting in terms of like it crosses over with sports science. It's into tech as well. Um, maybe not so much in coding, but there's that whole tech element of it. So that's kind of where, if you say like rugby and tech, that's immediately where my mind goes with things. GPS is the big kind of driver. Um, there and then there's also a lot of tech around reviewing games uh, reviewing opposition Uh, so there's a lot of platforms several different platforms that are used that 
you know, you, you're off the field and 20 minutes later you've got you've got the full game tagged up with what you what you need to what you need to see. There's a there's a database um, that was available to to the clubs that pretty much every professional game in rugby is on there, and you have you could you're playing a playing against an opposition next week. You're playing against a guy. You can type his name in. You can see, you know, his every match he's played for the last five years, every tackle he's missed, all that sort of thing. So, yeah. in terms of like data and technology, that stuff was massive, and some players would use it more than others. But you know. The higher up you get in the game, like everyone, you have to do your homework on like. So you, you know, you'd be looking at players a couple of days out from a game and thinking, right, where can I get a, do you know, where can I get a leg up on this? And um, so that side of things, and those platforms were becoming more and more useful. I think more and more features. So in terms of software, that's like I think where that can apply to, um, to the game. Um, but for me, yeah, I think. I feel honestly only having really scratched the surface and things in terms of coding in in, in this four months, um, as much as I've got into it. So, um, and and I've enjoyed everything across the full stack, front end, back end. Like I enjoy the logical element of the the back end, the more creative side of front end stuff, um, and then like React, which is almost like the back end of the front end, right? Like that stuff really enjoyed all that stuff as well so it's like I feel like I just need to learn more in whatever area that may be is, is learn more but I think the sporting side of things um, is always something that I could kind of come back around to and, or if I have any mad ideas I can um, patent them and hold on to the, the IP yeah. for that. <laughs> I think one of the uh, one of my favorite movies I ever watched and one that kind of inspired me to get into the tech industry in the first place was uh, was Moneyball and I've since read the book as well actually uh, have, have you have you seen it I'm so bad with films like uh, you could name the the, the classic <laughs> the 10 classic films and I'll probably have seen like three of them so nah apologies I haven't I haven't seen it but I can add it, it is, to the list. it's a really good one uh, so it's um, I think Brad Pitt plays a lead in it it's it's a true story about the Oakland Ace in professional baseball and it's uh, the story is basically that a guy brought in stats. Uh, uh, the GM was Billy Bean, and uh, he brought in statistical analysis uh, with the assistance of a data scientist at, at Yale. Uh, and they were basically able to construct a team with a limited budget via just pure data analysis and ignoring kind of the eye test um, that was able to very nearly win the World Series. I think they lost in the last game. Uh, and it, it's it's really interesting because it talks about these biases that you end up having from from the eye, and actually you can get an amazing result just using pure data. And particularly in the world of sport, where there's a, it basically its argument is that kind of superstars, quote unquote, are really overrated in the idea, and you want to have um, you want to have a full team of athletes that are kind of like very very good but undervalued for whatever reason mm-hmm. so either they have a weird technique so there's a player in the team who uh pitches like sort of underarm rather than overarm yeah uh, and things like that so it's Love it's it. a really interesting one and um yeah i definitely definitely recommend it i think uh, i must have plugged this movie like five times on this podcast already so uh i feel like i should get some royalties for it but uh, <laughs> uh, i'm on it i'm on uh, it it's really it. good <laughs> love it yeah Tech in, in sport is something I don't know if it's going to go that way, um, but like feeding back the the other area that I th- think it might work in is like feeding back data and stats to the viewer. Um, mm. And I know they now use like they've got chips in the the balls that can see how far they've been passed and stats, and you start to see little bits of it. And when I was playing sevens, they did there was a lot of chat around like feeding back. You know, from different camera views and stuff, like the length of passes, the putting GPS, like almost like taking GPS data and putting it out to the viewer and being like, yeah. this is how fast this guy's running. This is like, and there's loads of different elements that come into that. But that's another thing I guess could, mm. you know, potentially work in sport. 
I know AWS are doing a lot of work with that at the moment during the current, uh, so we're recording this during the uh, Six Nations uh, at the moment. Um, we, we did have a bit of a chat about <laughs> the uh, Scotland's result on the weekend, but we won't, won't elaborate any further. But uh, yeah, it's, it's really interesting from a viewer experience point of view. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm biased as, as a bit of a nerd, but uh, <laughs> seeing all the stats that are coming up um, on, on screen and, you know, if it eventually ends up to the point where it's kind of augmented reality, where you can track a load of different things that are, going on in addition to the game itself, I think would be uh, would be a really cool experience, particularly if you can toggle it kind of on and off. I know uh, I know like Formula One has embraced it, but obviously that sport is just, I mean, by, by its very nature, completely data-driven. So it's yeah. easier for them. But um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised they were talking about doing that in Sevens because it is so uh, kind of, it's very much about the product, um, yeah. isn't it, with Sevens? So De- definitely. Uh, I'm not surprised they're looking it up. Um, yeah, the... Um... What was I going to say? Uh, like around, like like you're saying, a data-driven sport like F1, you probably compare it to something like rugby or football. It's a lot more skill-driven. It's subjective, and it's not quite as objective as right. If I do this, this is what's going to happen. Kind of like if you compare it to say cycling or like say track cycling, for example, you're like right. If I can increase all of this stuff, I'm going to get this output on the bike. Rugby is a lot more subjective, but at the same time. The amount of data that is available and that is used is is huge, um, and I think like it's funny you you see people you hear people watching a game and they're like they might be like oh why don't they just do this or like why don't they just do that, and honestly like the you wouldn't believe the amount of detail that coaches go into on the other side of it that like to analyze teams and there's always a reason behind a team, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, executing a certain play or you know like and, you, and you'll see plays come off and like that's something that's been thought up weeks and weeks before that's been seen by a coach or an analyst or a player and then it's also got to the stage where it's been executed at the right time on the field um by the player like yeah the, the amount of stuff that goes into like what's then delivered to the players before they go out in the weekend and a lot of that's filtered down but amount of data that you start with to then get down to right Scotland are going out to play England on the weekend they get a scrum five meters in on the right and on the 22 like this is the play we need to execute um, mm-hmm. but that's distilled down from a whole load of data a whole load of software down you know and it's that's the information that gets passed to the player that then has to execute it so in that sense it's like it's it's pretty interesting actually the amount of tech and um, stuff that you probably don't see that's actually behind the scenes of all that stuff. Yeah, so they'll like pick a, uh, so they'll pick a play based on the date, the data probability, or, or like previous performance. So say like, uh, if we go scrum five meters out, if we say number eight picks up, um, because it results in a try, sort of sixty percent of the time, versus maybe passing it out to the backs because that results in a try forty percent of the time. Yeah. you would go for you go for former do, do you boil it down to like that detail or or is it more a combination of the eye test and, and data oh look there's a there's a combination of it as well but yes like you're saying but also then it comes down to a player seeing the right thing at the right time making a call yeah. as well like that's a, a massive part of it so the the, the data set is only feeds in but that can like mm. it can make a difference like but you can get right down to it in terms of you know, I've seen coaches present on like, um, right, the team, we've got stats here, the team that um, is kicking the most um, is generally winning the game by this amount, right? Right, how does that then work in terms of, right, if we're kicking more, what does that mean? And it's right down to the minutiae of the stats um, Mm. that then directs, what a team's doing for a week or a training session or and what you're like putting out onto the field at the weekend yeah i i heard a I, this is must be like a fourth hand story by this point but i heard that the reason why uh ireland under joe schmidt wouldn't offload was because they calculated the, the possibility of an offload going wrong versus it causing a line break and they actually reckoned that an offload was more likely to cause a mistake and uh that and they completely blanket banned it because they'd done the data analysis on it but again i've I'm pretty sure someone told me that in a clubhouse. And again, like I said, I play in the seventh, seventh tier. So yeah, I'm not quite sure how that information it, ended up to me. But. It could be. And then again, it's the subjective nature of it depending on the coach. 
but I mean, like that for like tell that to the Fijians, for example. Like, they, just, you know, imagine sitting down and trying to say tell the tell the Fijian guys not to offload. Um, yeah, but uh, not like quite believable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you think you would maybe end up in the data science side of things then, if uh, if it? Because I guess that seems like that's what relates to most of rugby. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's something I've not really. I like I say, only scratching the surface with things, and yeah. I, I've really enjoyed like the. I have really enjoyed the coding element of things, and the. Not just the logical nature of it, but the creative side of it as well, and that's another thing that I've kind of been open to is you coming into code and thinking, right, it's ones and zeros. It's it's right or wrong. It's like, nah, there's actually quite a creative side mm. to not only the front end of things, but like just how you do something and how you approach a problem. Um, like I also kind of come in naively thinking, right, there's a, in terms of a way to um, complete a homework task, for example, is, right it's black or white you do it this way or you don't but mm. I come to realize that it's actually like well you can do it this way you could do it this way there's so many ways you could approach it in terms of code and that's something that I learned as well um and a lot of the times you might have done it differently to the the way the solutions proposed you know in class or um and that's another thing about code and 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 programming and software that I've been like right that's pretty cool there's a there's not a set way to do things. There's a million ways you could do it. Some are easier than others and some might be better than others for certain reasons. Some things might be better, but you don't realize it's better until you're two weeks down the line and you've been like, right, that was a poor design decision. I should have done this. Or like, I should have set up, I should have set up my database in this way because that would have saved me down the line. But that's part of the learning process as well. But uh it's just been yeah it's been pretty cool to see that um there's no one way to uh skin a cat to yeah you know exactly um, it, it comes back to that old myth that it's really similar to maths like oh if you want to be a software engineer like you have to be really good at maths in school like you're doing maths day in day out like i think i've done one thing once ever that was vaguely mathematical and even then it wasn't really in my entire software engineering career and yeah. it's, i don't know why that stereotype exists it's actually a really weird one yeah i feel that there's a lot of stereotypes in within this sort of industry right <laughs> um that probably aren't true but i the maths thing um a lot of people like like in our core whenever there's a there's a math problem come up a lot of, a lot of folks are like oh no nah, maths maths you've got to do a bit of maths sort of thing but um, yeah, it's it's entirely different, isn't it? It's um, I there's the logical nature to it, but it's it's not it's not so much numbers. It's just an approach to solving problems, and um, yeah, that's what kind of appeals to me anyway as well. Yeah, I think that that's same for me. It's like the idea that I can solve some real life problems using something I can code myself. That's the whole reason why I got into the industry and like I'm quite interested in like entrepreneurship and that, that sort of thing. And just the idea that, oh cool, I can I can write something that will fix something. And for me, like I'm useless at DOI and it's what I imagine it must be like if you <laughs> if you do if you do a really good DOI project, I guess that's the closest I'll ever have is writing a brilliant JavaScript function. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's um yeah, like I start to look at things differently as well like because you have like gotten into things um and be like, oh, like i wonder how you'd code that sort of thing and then you see things and realize that like i've realized in a couple of projects like things are a lot more complicated than you it seems on the surface in terms of code something might seem relatively simple like, oh, that'd be quite easy to implement and then you get into the code and get right into it and you're like right, this is a bit more involved, right, how do we do this? And that's quite interesting. But you're also, I find myself looking at things and being like, right, how would that, I wonder how that's, do you know how that would be, um, how that would look in terms of classes in a program or, you know, and then you get into the yeah. whole relationship between everything and relationship between classes and all that. And um, that's quite interesting. 
breaking it all down into tiny steps is just the absolute best way. And um, there's a, I, I can't remember for the life of me what he's called now. I found this guy on YouTube a couple of weeks ago and he does a series um, called This Is Impossible and it's to do with JavaScript. And what he does yeah. is he looks at a really cool website and I, this will be linked in the description because uh, I genuinely <laughs> thought this was fantastic. He starts each video by going, this is impossible. I can't do this. Like, like this is mad. This is crazy. And he's like scrolling through and there's all, all kinds of cool stuff going on. And then actually he then says, oh, actually, uh, I think I could do this bit. And then he kind of does exactly how you were saying, like break it down into smaller chunks. And he does each bit. And then at the end, he's like, oh, I've done it. And like, it's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a silly gimmick, but I really like it in a way that it deals with the subject of imposter syndrome in, uh, in, in quite a nice way as well, where you think everything, if you're comparing what you're working on to, to a completely polished and finished product, like you're always going to think that it's impossible. And uh, it's a really nice way of breaking down. So I'll pop that link in the description because it's such a good way of thinking about these things. Nice one. Cool. Um, so yeah, it's been a been a real pleasure um, chatting. Is uh, if people want to kind of follow along with your uh, with your journey, what's the best way to to follow you? Uh, oh, great question. Um, <laughs> in terms of social media and stuff, I'm I'm on Twitter. Uh, that's been in the past. It's just been rugby, just rugby content that's on there at the minute. But I might I might make a switch to more uh, software related content. So my Twitter is at ljones11. Um, I'm not going to send you to my GitHub because <laughs> there's probably some. <laughs> Go looking for the Firebase keys. <laughs> need, to, need to polish up. Need to polish up my code first. Um, nah, but uh, GitHub is uh, ljones11, and yeah, that's pretty much me. Uh, same on LinkedIn, I think as well. Um, cool. I'm on LinkedIn, so um, yeah, appreciate a connection from anyone that's. Um, wanting to chat about whatever yeah it's been cool and i should probably say i should probably say as well uh can edit it out if you're not are you, are you looking for a for a job right now because we can um add this in as well yeah yeah i'm uh yeah currently looking for roles like i say i uh finished up on code clan just last week just last thursday so now into the world of a bit of self-learning job applications um and looking to to secure that first role and um, so looking forward to uh taking that first step in the new career Fantastic. Sounds great. Well, thanks again for coming on, Lee. It was a real pleasure. Good to chat. Thanks, Cameron.